Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. things before we get into our text this morning. Um, in a few weeks, uh, there's some posters around campus and such, but in a few weeks, on a Friday night, uh, we are going to be, those of us who want to are going to be gathering uh, together in the pavilion and uh, having some conversation and kind of therefores um, about uh, the book that I had mentioned a, a while ago, um, does the Bible Support Same-Sex Marriage by Preston Sprinkle, um, book written from a historically uh, Christian traditional viewpoint. Um, and as we come to kind of talk, really what I want to emphasize is this, that our conversation is to challenge each other to obey Jesus faithfully and lovingly. And while that might sound like it is obvious, um, in our, oftentimes in our, the way we live out, um, that is not always obvious. <laughs> and so that's really what that conversation is. It's much bigger and deeper than just an issue, but there is an issue involved. And so we want to walk through that. Um, second thing is, is this, that uh, at 1215 after the service in Park Place, right across the street, um, for those of you who are interested in the Genesis pilot program in Israel, uh, we will be meeting and I will have lots of detail um, about that. Um, I Just to reinforce, I am so excited about the possibilities uh, that that contains. Um, it is only God who could orchestrate the church being invited into Israel to build relationships with communities um, without, without any stipulations. Um, and, and so I'm just so excited about what that looks like on so many different levels. And so if you are interested at all, please join us. Um, I'm going to try to keep the meeting short. I've got lots of information that will probably answer lots of questions, but we'll have some question, time for questions, but, uh, hopefully we'll keep that to about a half an hour. Um, before we get into the text this morning, I want us to, I'm going to shift things around a little bit, but I want us to, uh, I want us to share communion as we, as we go into the text. Um, this morning, the, the passage that we are uh, working through um, really hit hard and landed deep for me. Um, and I think God has something to say in the process of our church and our people becoming the church and the people that he wants us to be. Um, so I don't think we're there yet. Um, and, and so as we go into the, to the scriptures this morning, and uh, I want us to begin from a posture of, um, of communion with Jesus. And so um, you know what happened in the upper room when Jesus spent that time with his disciples. Um, 
we know that he shared with his disciples and, and told them how much he wanted to share this with them. And, and we know um, how Jesus said, took that bread and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And, and he was telling them that there is an invitation not just to eat and be full, but there's an invitation to join him in his work, not just the glory of his work, but the suffering of his work. And so he said, every time you take and eat this bread, let it remind you my action that I did in the giving of myself. And so let's remember Jesus this morning as we take the bread together. Go ahead. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my covenant that I make with you. And really the covenant that, the, that Jesus made with us is this, that our holiness, our righteousness is fully on him. He's the one who makes us righteous. He's the one who makes us holy. We have to join him. <laughs> We have to cooperate with him. We have to pursue him in the path that he has blazed for us. So he said, when you take the cup and drink it, remember my blood shed for you to follow me. Let's take that together. Acts chapter 19. I'm just gonna read through the passage first. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary things, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the, to heal, to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva was were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So we have this kind of incident in Ephesus where Paul has been in Ephesus for a while and, and we talked even last week about how Ephesus was ascending church, that they were going all over into, uh, into Asia in that, at that time. And so there is a group of believers living in Ephesus in a thriving church. It's growing and people are, are doing extraordinary things. And it says that, that God is doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. 
Now, reading this, did anybody else like me get like visions of old school TV evangelists? Anybody? Like, like saying, like saying, like if if you send in fifty dollar pledge, then I will send you a piece of cloth that you can lay over your business and it will flourish. Anybody remember that? Yeah, that was unfortunately we do remember that. That was brutal. Um, but it's interesting because this isn't that. This isn't remotely that. This is like the real thing. This is what God's power can do and does. And it says that God was moving so powerfully through Paul that even things that, like, like okay, this isn't what I'm really saying, but I'm just gonna say this for lack of words. Like even his clothing were like filled with the spirit, okay? Like, and I'm not saying that that's a thing, that your clothing can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but, but like God was doing things through people's interaction, even with his clothing that he had touched. And here's the thing that I think we need to recognize. In Paul's life, the intimacy he experienced with Jesus through sharing in Jesus' sufferings resulted in extraordinary presence and power of God. The intimacy with which he pursued Jesus and the sufferings of Jesus that he participated in resulted in extraordinary presence and power of God in his life. And that's how that works. Now, understand, I'm not saying that just because you have intimacy with Jesus and you participate in his sufferings that your clothing will heal people, but it might. Not because it's your clothing, but because that's how God chooses to work. See, the power of Jesus granted through the Spirit comes when there is deep intimacy with Jesus resulting from our participation in his sufferings. I am convinced that this is the message of the gospel. That when we pursue intimacy with Jesus and participate in his sufferings, then that road leads to the power of God displayed in our life. It might be the power of God to forgive someone who is unforgivable. It might mean the power of God to withstand a thing in our lives that is that no one could survive. It could be that, that God shows up in power in a way where he heals you or someone through you. There's no limit to what God may do for his own glory. But I do know that when we pursue intimacy with Jesus and participate in his sufferings, we will arrive at a place of God's presence and his power displayed in our lives. Look at Paul's history again. I mentioned this a few weeks back. Paul participated daily in the sufferings of Jesus. He was numerous plots to kill him. He was contradicted, maligned, persecuted, and driven out of cities. The Jews turned, against, turned crowds against him and tried to stone him and actually did stone him at one point. He was beaten and imprisoned. He was forced to flee from almost every city that he, he had visited. He was constantly reminded of the cost of following Jesus. I think an important question for us, are we ever reminded of the cost of following Jesus? And when we are reminded of the cost of following Jesus, 
Do we step into his sufferings or do we find a way around those sufferings? You see, so often I think we even as much as we know about Jesus, we so often want the power of Jesus without the presence of Jesus. We want the glory of God without the suffering of God. We want recognition without relationship. Church, there are no shortcuts to a deep, inner, and genuine outer life with Christ. There are no shortcuts. The only path to that is intimacy with Jesus and not just kind of praying every once in a while, but deep intimacy, pursuit of Jesus and stepping in and partaking the fellowship of his sufferings. There is no other path. There is one. And Paul experienced that and we see the power of God working through Paul. But we also see another group of people in this text. And, and so it says that there was, it says that there were, there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who saw what Paul was doing. Here's, here's the framework of the ancient world. The ancient world was connecting the physical world that we see and the invisible spiritual world that we don't see, but we certainly feel the effects of. And so, and so the ancient world was very much, they connected those things and those things were very much working together. And so, so no matter what your religious pagan outlook was, it all connected the spiritual and the physical. And so lots of, of people would have the way kind of magic or power or, or whatever that was, how, how that worked in the ancient world was people would have formulas or incantations that they would use to get through life. I know that maybe sounds different and far from us, but it's not actually that far from us because we all have formulas and incantations we use every day to get through life. It's just theirs. They recognized that there was spiritual power in beings and authorities that were, were there. Where here in the West, typically, we, we really only look at the physical and we, 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 we kind of dismiss, except in a few contexts, we dismiss the spiritual that's going on. And so primarily, these formulas were attached with a name of some spiritual power. So these Jewish of Jewish faith, these Jewish exorcists were going around and they were delivering people from demons, spiritual powers, and they had their formulas and their incantations and, 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 and they, would, they would be talking through these things and they would be going around and they saw Paul and they saw Paul's formula and it was based on the name of Jesus. And so Paul had an incantation that they saw, that they, they interpreted in a formula that had to do with the name of Jesus. You see, religious reality was, regardless of which religion, an they had this worldview of the spiritual realm unlike that we have today. And so these Jewish exorcists had their formula, but Paul seemed to be more effective and spectacular to the point where his garments were healing people. So they, they decided to adopt what they thought was his formula. 
The problem is, is that they wanted the power of Jesus without the presence of Jesus. They wanted to use Jesus rather than love Jesus. And that happens all the time today. We want the power of Jesus, but not the presence of Jesus where he is telling us actively what to do and how to react. We want the power that he has for us, but, but it's really hard to deal with the presence of Jesus because that changes my behavior and my activity and my thinking and my spending. See, doing the work of Jesus without intimacy with Jesus may be functional for a while, but it will end in ruin every single time. We can do good works and we can do works that can be associated with Jesus, but if we are not doing them out of intimacy with Jesus and participating in the sufferings of Jesus, it will end at a place of ruin. There's only one path that that goes to. And so you've got these Jewish exorcists who go and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy what happens. They go and, and they say to these evil spirits, these demons that are possessing people, they say, I adjure you by the name, by, by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. And these, these spiritual beings respond to these Jewish exorcists all seven of them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who the heck are you? <laughs> and then as we see in the text, these, this one man who's possessed by a demon attacks and beats the life out of these seven men and they go running out naked and wounded and bleeding and embarrassed and made fools of. And so it's interesting because they wanted the power that Jesus gives, but they did not surrender to the Jesus who is king. And they found that Jesus was different than the incantations and the formulas that they had. See, there is no power or authority equal to the name of Jesus. We sing that. We know scripture that says that. We even talk about it. But do we really believe it? Do we really believe that Jesus' name is above any other name and more powerful than any other name? Or are we a lot like those Jewish exorcists who take the name of Jesus and add him to our formulas and our ideologies to make them better. I actually think that's the entry level of Western Christianity. Accept Jesus and put him into the good things in your life and he'll make your life better. And, and, so, and so just even think about, again, what Paul writes in Philippians 2. It's not just applied to people, but it's applied to all created beings. 
And, and, and I would think that this, what Paul writes, maybe you can see it in a different light because of what happens here, that these people, whether pagans or religious type, they would be going around dealing with the spiritual realm, using names of different spiritual beings. And then Paul comes along in the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus is above and over all of those other names and things. And so Paul writes, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That is a direct reference and an affront to all of the practice of the name is in a formula. Jesus' name is not in a formula. It is his name is what the power comes through. Through the intimacy and the sharing of his sufferings. so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do not diminish the name of Jesus by inserting it into some formula or ideology or politic we want to be successful or partial toward. Why is there so little power in the church today? It's because we have placed the name of Jesus in formulas. I believe that to be true. And we've diminished the name of Jesus. We want the power without the presence. We want the glory without the suffering. Just like they did. And so here's the response. Word gets out. Word gets out in, in, in the city of Ephesus. And it says that this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. What I think is interesting is no one was entertained by what happened. Nobody like pulled out their cell phone and was like, whoa, watch this and posted it and said crazy stuff. No, everyone was in reverence and awe and terror because they realized something was unique and different and that the name of Jesus means something far more, is, more, is far higher and far more significant than any other name that's used under heaven. It says that everyone was terrified, both Jews and Greeks, Believers and unbelievers. They were confronted with Jesus plus nothing. Jesus diminished by nothing. Jesus alone, the name that is above every name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess as Lord. So what's interesting is not only does Luke record what happened in citywide, but he zeroes in on what happened in the church of Ephesus, the believers. There was a, there was a church in Ephesus that was growing. And, and, and what, what it says, so interesting. It says also in verse 18, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. 
And a number of those, some of those had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. You see, it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, this has nothing to do with me because I don't do magic arts. I've never done an incantation. I don't even know what that means. But we do have our formulas that we add Jesus to. We do have our ideologies that we infuse them with the power of Jesus so they can be successful. It's no different. And and what happened in the church in Ephesus is that the believers came and they confessed. They didn't just go home and quietly say, okay, God, this is just between you and me. No, this this is the family of God. And they came and confessed their practices. They said, I haven't been fully allegiant to Jesus because I've put him in the formula that I've always used just to try to make my formula better. And they confess those things and some even recognize we're still doing our old stuff just with a Jesus slant with it. You see, when confronted with Jesus, not just as a teacher or as a good man or even simply a savior, but Jesus who is king over all the universe, there is repentance and surrender even for those who already belong to Jesus. Because you see, I don't care who you are or what stage of life or how long you've known Jesus, there is always something you are holding back or adding to Jesus in your life. No exceptions. And when the Spirit moves and identifies and reveals those things in your life, you have a choice. To sanitize them by adding Jesus in or putting them to death, denying yourself and following the name of Jesus alone. It says that uh, all the books that they brought and burned amounted to 50 pieces of silver. It's, it's often, I think, hard to like understand the value of, of statements like that in scripture. Uh, one, one scholar actually did a little bit of work and uh, he, came, he came to this conclusion that 50 pieces of silver equaled roughly the yearly wage of about 140 workers. Okay, to put that in terms of today, which I don't know how accurate this might be, but just to give us an idea, the average yearly wage of a worker in California is $65,500. You multiply that by 140 and you get just over $9 million. What these believers in the church in Ephesus did was costly. which kind of turns on its heel and and presents me with, has my surrender and following Jesus cost me anything? Has it cost you anything? 
And so what does this passage have to do with us? I'll be honest, this passage that I thought was short and not terribly applicable because I'm not a witch or a sorcerer. And I don't go around exercising people. Wasn't sure how much it had to do with my life. But it's kind of wrecked me. Have I, have you, have we taken the name of Jesus and diluted it by placing it into a formula to continue to live the way we want? And before you say, oh, no, 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 I haven't done that. I follow Jesus. I think it's important to think about that. I think it's important to actually pray and ask the Holy Spirit to identify and reveal those things in your life. That Jesus is more of an additive than he is a conqueror of those things in our lives. Intimacy and suffering result in the power of Christ in our lives. Do I want power of Christ in my life without intimacy or suffering? Because that's the way God works. Like some of us might say, yeah, well, I mean, I can pursue intimacy with Jesus, but suffering is not my thing. And like, I don't suffer because I live in America. Here's what's interesting. No matter ethnicity, geographical location, economic situation, Pursuing intimacy with Jesus and joining him in his suffering is, is achievable by everyone. There's no exception. And the only reason I might not be suffering for Jesus is because I might not be living for Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I mentioned just kind of in passing this idea and I think it's something that we, can, we, we want to actually give more thought to, but the idea of, of gospel of the land and gospel of the kingdom, that, that no matter where, you're, where you live, where you're born, where you've grown up, the gospel takes on some characteristics of the land in which you live. And so growing up here, we have a gospel of the land that infiltrates what we believe about Jesus and following him in the same way that someone born in, in Thailand or in Moscow, also, when they hear the gospel, they will hear it and there will be characteristics of the land that infiltrate that. And the gospel of the kingdom is always, always different. It's not that you necessarily have a false gospel, but you have a gospel that has false things in it. I believe that part of the gospel of the land in which we live is that the name of Jesus means that I'm safe and secure so that I can help others. It's not a bad thing, but I'm safe and secure so that I can help others. I don't think that's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom says the name of Jesus means that I participate in his sufferings while I help others. I participate in his sufferings while I help others. One says I'm okay 
and that gives me a platform to do good things. But the kingdom says that I am pressed from every direction and I still, through the power of Christ in me, am able to do good for others. And I don't know how that sounds to you and you may say, nope, I don't agree with that. That's fine. But I don't see it in the Bible. The Bible puts a premium on suffering when it comes to knowing Jesus, not on safety or security. Have we made following Jesus a formula we control or does the name of Jesus provoke us to follow him in that same reverence and awe and fear that those believers in Ephesus that gives us resolve to embrace the self-denying, cross-caring, surrendered life according to the Holy Spirit that is totally out of our control. Do we want that controlled life? Do we pursue that? Because, because we can live a controlled life where we kind of put Jesus into our formulas. Or have we been provoked to a place of actually reverencing in awe, fearing Jesus in a good way where we actually live according to the spirit which is not under our control? I just kind of put it this way. Have we taken the name of Jesus, the name above every name, and packaged it into a formula or an ideology that even the demons don't recognize and aren't threatened by. Sometimes I wonder, maybe the first step for us, for the church at large, is to actually see Jesus to the same degree that the demons do. Because they recognize the name of Jesus that is higher than any other name. They understand that. So the response of those believers in the early church, and I think this is where we struggle, and I think this is something God wants to break in us. I think when we are convicted by God and the Spirit and he's moving us toward repentance or confession of sin, we tend to say, yep, that's between me and God. I don't think we will ever experience the presence and the power of God that is available to his children until we go outside our individual bubbles and go, go corporate into the community of the family of God. I don't think any longer it's enough that I go and just confess my sins in private or, or, or repent in a private place. Just, it's only my business, not your business. And so what happened in the church in Ephesus, the believers came out publicly confessing their practices. And it says, and it says at the end of that, and that passage, it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I think the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily because the church actually surrendered and said, you know what? We have nothing to lose because we have Jesus. So I think the question this morning is this. 
do we as do we personally and do we corporately need to repent of the way that we live in certain areas of our life where we have added Jesus to our formulas or ideologies or if we've somehow redeemed our politics by throwing in the name of Jesus. And all those things do is they dilute Jesus and take away the power of the name of Jesus because it's not Jesus. You see, repentance without action isn't repentance at all. The people in the church in Ephesus, not only did they repent, but they brought their stuff and it was costly. So I want to invite the uh, students back up and they're going to lead us in some more worship. Um, and here's, while we worship, while we sing, maybe the Spirit is moving you this morning to confess your sin, to repent. All week for me, the Spirit has been identifying formulas in my life. And honestly, probably the ones of us in here who have been Christians longer probably have more formulas that we've created and we've just added Jesus to. All week for me, the Spirit has been identifying and demanding of me to come to Him and repent and take action. So maybe it's right now. Maybe you need to grab someone and confess those things to them. Maybe you need to come up and kneel. Maybe you need to ask a group of people to step around you and pray. Maybe you just need to sing. Maybe, I don't know what, maybe you, maybe there's someone in here who the spirit is saying, I want you right now to confess in front of everyone. Come see me then. But the way that we experience the power and presence of Jesus is through pursuing intimacy with him, with, un, with, with abandon, and stepping in to join him in the sufferings that he faced. And that takes us to the place where God breaks through. So let's spend the next few minutes praying, listening, and obeying whatever it is that God tells you to do. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.